morning. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us, we just want to say thank you for being here, and we would love to meet you. And just outside the back doors on your right, there's our guest services counter, and uh, we would love to have you stop by. We have a special gift for you, and we just love to uh, meet you, share with you a little bit about our church, and answer any questions you may have. Uh, but we're just grateful that you are here today. I'm grateful that you're here today. When I uh, opened the windows this morning and saw the snow, I thought, well, great, pastor's going to yell at me when he comes back. The uh, attendance was down, the offering was down, the snow was in the parking lot. I'm going through all the things that uh, need to be done in this, this morning and got here and Slim is out there driving his truck, plowing the parking lot for the third time. Uh, Pastor Taylor is out there putting salt on the ground and uh, just our church was buzzing already at 8.30 this morning with everybody doing their thing. And it's just an awesome thing to come here and see uh, God working. And so if, if this is your first time here, uh, we want to welcome you to our church because this is a great place. If this is your church, you know already this is a great place. And uh, we're excited that, that uh, all that God is doing here. Sometimes when, uh, when you preach, you preach mainly to yourself. And that's the case this morning. So if you came here, uh, hopefully you'll understand this morning that uh, I am speaking directly to me first. And if you glean something, I, I thank the Lord that uh, you're here to hear me talk to myself today. And uh, you always wondered if you'd get to that age where not only you talk to yourself, but then you start answering yourself. And I've reached that point. And uh, so I'm, I'm just grateful that you're here. But it started out, this, uh, this whole thought this morning started out with an experience that I had at Subway. And I don't know how many of you like Subway, but uh, I, every once in a while when I'm hungry, I'm like, there is nothing better than a foot-long sub to uh, quench my appetite. And so I decided one afternoon that I was gonna go down to Subway down here. Well, I won't tell you which one it is, so just in case it's your favorite one and you know everybody in that Subway, you won't know who I'm talking about. Uh, but I went to a Subway uh, far, far away from our church. <laughs> And, uh, and walked in, and you know, you, you know how it is that when you walk into certain restaurants, it's not like the menu changes every time you go in. The menu is exactly the same. And Subway, every once in a while, maybe once a year, they change what they have on their menu. But you know that they have ham, turkey, cold cut, uh, it Italian BMT. I mean, they have the, uh, the ones that you, you know that they have. And... I walked in and for some reason, I was just at a quandary of what I want. You ever been there where you know what they have to offer, but you're like, I, I just don't know what I feel like today. Like I am starving, but I'm not just gonna put anything in my body. I want to pick the right thing to satisfy my cravings. And so I walked in and, and uh, came up to the counter this is the counter. I came up to the counter and there was nobody else in the store except me. There was nobody in front of me paying. There was nobody in front of me ordering. There was nobody behind me that had walked in the door. There was nobody approaching the door. It was just me in the shop and three people behind the counter. And I walk up to the counter and the guy, the person behind the counter says to me, uh, what would you like? And I said, I'm not sure as I'm staring at the counter, at, at the board to see what I wanted. And he looked over at the person beside him and goes, and rolls his eyes. And instantly, I am no longer paying attention to what's on the menu. Now, inside my stomach, I don't feel hunger creeping up. I feel this like little monster that's starting to crawl up my stomach and it's making my whole body tingle. 
You all with me? You know what I'm talking about? Or is it just me? Like I said, I'm talking to myself today. And so I stood there and, and uh, I said, um, let, me, let me get the, and I ordered what it was. He said, what kind of bread do you want? I'm like, now all of a sudden, I can't even remember that they have bread at Subway, let alone what kind. You know, I'm like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, bread? What? And so you're, you're, now I'm searching the, the, the thing for the bread, and I'm like, uh, let me do the wheat. He's like, okay. He puts his stuff on there, and you, you could tell that, you know, you can tell when somebody's preparing your food and they're just a little frustrated. It's not gently done. It's more like, mm, let me put that on there, and that one, and then we'll give you some of that. And I'm like, okay. So... He's getting frustrated, I'm getting frustrated, and I am like, I am no longer concerned about this. I don't even think I'm hungry anymore. I am just mad. So we walk down, we get all the meat on there, he puts it in the toaster oven, he comes down to the, to the he's like, do you know what you want of this stuff yet? And I'm like, okay. Now, yes, I want this, and I want that, and I want that. We got down to the cash register, and he's like, do you want anything else? And I'm like, nope, just the sandwich, thank you. And he cashes me out. And as I am walking out the door, he turns to the, I told you it was a man now. He turns to the other people standing in there, and he says, well, that took long enough. And I'm like, all right, buddy. I'm about to be David and Goliath with this thing here and use this as a sling and sling it at your head. Like, this is just the flesh rising up within me. And for weeks, I seethed on that moment. Like there was just something in me that every time I was hungry and I thought, should I go to Subway? I am not going to Subway. Those people do not deserve my money. And it just burned within me. And then I opened my Bible. You know how sometimes God is like, I'm going to work in you over here. You don't know what's happening, but I'm going to create this situation. And then you're going to open my word, and my word's just going to like have a hand that comes out and it's like psh, 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 all over you to let you know that you aren't even close to what I've asked you to be. Man. And I opened the scriptures, and I, and I started reading, and I started thinking, I'm like, God, I don't want to be like that. But isn't it true that today, don't you find yourself just a little bit more irritated than normal? Don't you find yourself just a little bit more on edge with your kids, with your spouse, than normal? Don't you find that the pressures at work, they build a little bit? Don't you find that the people... Some some people, and I understand businesses and, and health reasons that, uh, that people wear masks, and, and I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with people wearing a mask. But I find that when I wear a mask, when we first started wearing masks in, in public, I found that if I put a hat on, I put my mask on, and I put a jacket on, nobody knows who I am. And there's this little bit of anonymity that I can walk around going, and, and, I, and I found myself doing this. I, would, I was at, at a store, and this person I know from years and years and years ago walked past me, and I recognized them instantly, and they had no idea who I was. And there was just this little bit of, I am incognito. Like, I'm almost invisible. Nobody can see me. 
Nobody knows who I am. And it kept me from acting the way that I should. Things are happening, frustrations and anger and fears and all these things are welling up within us and we're not acting as we should. But God has called us to act and live as called out believers for him. That's the purpose that we're here. And so this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter number 10. And I know you are saying, whatever happened to that guy at Subway? If you just hold on to that, we'll come back to him at the end. Because I'm not done with the guy at Subway. But in Luke chapter number 10, in verse number 25 is where we're going to start. And this is the story, a very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I know that as you, some of you, you knew what Luke chapter 10 was all about. And you're like, oh, we're going back here. I know this frontwards and backwards. I know the story. When I said some of you, maybe you're like, oh, there's a lot of things in Luke chapter 10. I wonder what he's going to talk about. And he said the Good Samaritan. And you're like, oh, Good Samaritan. Check. I know what that is. I know what the Good Samaritan is all about. I've heard it. I've read it. I've studied it. Uh, there's even businesses and organizations called the Good Samaritan. There are people that are called Good Samaritans. I know what the Good Samaritan story is all about. Please stay with me this morning. Because I want you to understand that the Good Samaritan oftentimes, as we hear stories in the Bible like the Good Samaritan, that we oftentimes take it and we twist it and we turn it to what we want it to be. And we don't ever get the full depth of what God is talking about when he tells us something in his word. Now, most of you, when we say the Good Samaritan, you think of the person who does good. That person who walks around that, that helps people. And we know the story that the, the man who helped the other man and, and took care of him. But the Good Samaritan story, I want to tell you, is not about doing good for people. That isn't the story. That's not what Jesus says it's about. If you look at Luke chapter number 10 and go to verse number 25, we're going to start there. We're going to see why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So there's a lawyer. This is not a lawyer that would argue in a court. This is a man who studied the law, the Old Testament law. He knew the law. He studied the law. And he stands up in front of Jesus, and he's trying to get Jesus trapped in a theological discussion. And he says to Jesus, he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus knowing the thoughts of that man, turned it around, did not answer him, but said, what do you think? And if you know lawyers, and I don't mean the ones that we think of today, people who know the law, and maybe you know other people that are like this, that when you ask them a question, they love to talk. And that's what this lawyer did. He took the bait. He was trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus very effortlessly trapped this man in this question. Look at verse number 26. And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus said to this lawyer, okay, I'm not going to answer it. You know the law. What do you read? Verse 27 and, answer, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, I want you to see this because I think it's important. 
This lawyer was talking about the law, the Old Testament. So if you have a cross-reference Bible or a Bible with references, you see that it says Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn your Bibles to those verses. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, because this is the first one that, uh, that the law, the lawyer, that he quoted. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 5. So this lawyer, again, just so you understand the picture, that this lawyer comes to Jesus, tries to trap him. Jesus says, don't worry about it. He said, uh, you tell, I won't tell you an answer. You tell me the answer. What do you read? How do, how, what do you think it is? And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, the lawyer added something in this passage. So if you go back to, and this is why it's important to read Scripture, because if we understand what... Scripture says we can we can truly dig into it and see it. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, I will read that as you look at Luke chapter 10 verse number 27. I'll read Deuteronomy 6, you watch and read Math or Luke chapter 10 verse 27. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What did the lawyer add? with all thy mind. The lawyer added, with all thy mind. Because he, in this Jewish custom, it was not just about the actions, it was about the thoughts and the, the things that went in here, the, the purpose behind why we did it. It was your mind also. But then, if you look at Le Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 18, this is the second part that the lawyer quoted Leviticus chapter 19 verse number 18 and thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself I am the Lord so the lawyer says to Jesus he knew the law he knew that all of that was bundled up. All of the law was bundled up in those two phrases, to love God and love your neighbor. Those are the two things that, it, that the lawyer said, all right, you're asking me, Jesus, for the answer? He said, I will give you the answer that I believe it is. And look at what Jesus says in verse number 28 of Luke chapter 10. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Again, why did the lawyer ask this question? Because he wanted to know what Jesus says about eternal life. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, you tell me. Love God, love your neighbor. He said, absolutely, right answer. Now do it, and you'll live. Now most of us, we would have confronted Jesus, and Jesus would have said unto us, yes, love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do those things, and you're going to have eternal life. Remember, he's talking about salvation, talking about eternal life. We would have said, hopefully, but I can't do that. Like, that's not something I'm able to fulfill the law. I'm not able to carry that out. That's why the law was there to show us that we could not complete that. And hopefully, we would have said to Jesus, I can't do that. What do I need to do? But what did the lawyer do? Look at verse number 29. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Again, we're talking about eternal life in this question. 
and we're approaching where Jesus is going to give us the story of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer wanting to justify and try to clarify that statement, who is my neighbor? Okay, so I love God. I know who that is. Love my neighbor at myself. Let me now learn who is my neighbor so that I can quantify and I can checkbox that thing that says I have loved my neighbor. But what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to turn this thing on its tail. Now, I want you to see there's a, there's a thought here that I'm going to connect from verse number uh, 29 to verse number 36. Verse 29, the lawyer is asking, who is the right person to love? I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Jesus, tell me who is the right person. Now, I want you to go, we're going to jump ahead to verse number 36 in Luke chapter 10, because Jesus is going to twist this, and he's going to say, it's not the right person. It says, who is loving rightly? We're so focused on, on loving the right person that we forget that it is not about loving the right person. It's about loving rightly. Do you know oftentimes when uh, we think about our neighbors, you know the first people who would qualify as our neighbors according to the, to the lawyer would be our family. Did you choose the family that you are in? I didn't. Would you have chosen all of the people in your family? At times, Right? Sometimes we'd be like, oh, can I? I mean, when they're little, like, let's be honest. As parents, you always have that thought. Can I take this one back to the hospital? Like, is there a return date on them somewhere that, like, we can take them back, change them in for somebody? They must have gotten, ex- gotten changed at the, uh, in the baby nursery. Like, they put the wrong one in here. I know it. Because this one does not look like any of us. You with me? Like our, the first group that we have to learn to be neighborly to is our family. Not are they our neighbors. It's not an exterior motivation. It is an interior motive. How about your coworkers? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you chose where you work? The reason I say don't raise your hand is because it's all of us. Like we all, nobody is forced labor in here, unless you're a child. Then there's forced labor at home. I understand that. But nobody forced you to work where you are. You all chose that. But how many of you chose your co-workers? Not, not me. Like when I came here, I chose to work here, but I did not choose the people that are working here. God gave me neighbors that I am to love. How many of you chose what house you live in? All of you. You looked and you looked and you looked, and if you bought a house within the last two years, you looked very briefly. And sometimes it was just online. And you're like, we want that one. And you bought a house. You chose that house. But how many of you chose the neighbors that live next to you? How many of you would have not chosen? Don't raise your hand. How many of you would have not chosen that house if you knew the neighbors that live next to you? How about your church members? 
How many of you chose to be here this morning? All of you. How many of you chose the people that are here that are next to you to be here this morning or behind you or in front of you? None of us. You see, if we are looking simply to say to God, God, who is it that you want me to be? Who, who, who is my neighbor? Is it literally the two people that are on the side of me at my house? Or is it today the person that's sitting in front of you and the person sitting behind you? The person sitting to the left of you and the person sitting to the right of you. And God says, if you truly understand who your neighbor is, you will not try to figure out who it is that you are supposed to be kind to. You will be kind. You will be neighborly to everyone. You ever have one of those kind of neighbors that just loved you and you weren't sure what they were up to? Like they're always bringing stuff over and you're like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why this person is so kind. I don't know what they're trying to get me to do. I don't know what, what the purpose is. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. And you realize that they don't want anything. They're just kind. And you're like, I kind of love that. Like that guy, that lady, like they're awesome. And you know what we've lost in this day? We've lost the ability to go to our neighbor and ask for a cup of flour, a cup of sugar. I don't think we've ever had anybody knock on our door and go, hey, we ran out of flour. Can we? We all sit on back porches now, staring at the back of the house behind us. Instead of on the front porch, greeting the people as they're walking by. And we all find ways to be irritated with everybody. And we, as the lawyer asking Jesus, is saying, all right, I know what the law says, but I need the technical rules on this. Like, who do I actually have to demonstrate neighborly kindness to? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Let me show you who you are supposed to be neighborly to. In verse number 30, in Jesus' response to the question, who is my neighbor? Again, this story is about salvation. This story is not about being kind though the story has somebody kind in it. It's about salvation. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now this road, this is a true road, even though this is a parable that Jesus is saying, this is a true road. And everybody that was standing around, including this lawyer, would have identified with that road. Now, growing up in Adrian, Michigan, we had that road. Adrian was one of those towns where you could leave your house unlocked, your cars unlocked. I remember people that left their keys in the ignition in their unlocked car all night long. Like, they didn't, they didn't care. Like, nobody was going to steal it. That was Adrian growing up. I'd leave it at uh, sun up and tell my mom I'll be out with friends, and she'd be like, all right, just be home before dark. On my bike, gone all day, no idea where I am. But there was one road in Adrian. And my parents said, don't ever go to that road. You know, as a little boy, when you tell a little boy, don't ever go to that road, 
Yeah, you want to go to that road. Now, I never went down that road, but I rode my bike past that road really, really slow. And I'm looking as I'm riding past that road going, looks scary. That's the road that Jesus is talking about. Like that road. It was a treacherous, dangerous road. And everybody understood what Jesus was saying when he said to that road. In verse number 31, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. Now, I want to go back and I want to look at this because this is important. Again, I need you to remember that Jesus is talking about salvation here. This story is not just about this Samaritan who does something that's good. We use that, and that's not a bad application. But that's not the reason Jesus said this. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a mental attitude that we have. If you have true salvation, this is truly how you act. And he used the priest as an example, because did the priest know what the law was? Yes, absolutely. So if anybody should have stopped to see what this man needed, it should have been the priest. But what did the priest do? The priest saw him, didn't even bother going to him, saw him and just kept on walking down the other side. I can't stop. What I'm doing is too important. What I'm doing is too valuable. The things that, I, that the place that I'm heading, maybe he was going to do a, a service in Jericho. I don't know what he was doing on that road, but he was walking on that road. He saw the person in need and he just kept walking because what he was doing was more important than what that man needed. Do you identify with that in your life? I think about the times as a kid, we would be driving down the road on vacation. There would be somebody who would be broken down on the side of the road, and my dad would go, hey, we need to stop and help them. I'm like, but dad, we are going to Disney World. He's like, well, Disney World will be there when we get there. We have to stop and help this person. How many of you, if you were broken down on the side of the road, would be sure that somebody would stop and help you? How many of you would be nervous if somebody actually stopped and helped you? But you know what my dad taught me when he would be out pulling a tire off the side of that car, jacking a car up, pull, emptying all of our luggage out of the back of our van so he could get to the jack that was in there. So he could jack the car up to help them pull the tire off, change the tire, get them back on the road. You know what my dad taught me? To truly care about people. How many times do we go downtown Toledo and we see people that are sitting on the sidewalks and we just simply walk on the other side around them because for sure what we're doing is way more important than stopping and spending time with them. Jesus then went to the Levite and he said to Levite, but notice the difference between the priest and the Levite. In verse 32, and likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. The priest was just too busy. 
The Levite is the one who worked in the temple to carry out the temple duties. He knew all the rules. And one of the rules that the priest and the Levite had to follow was they could not touch bodily fluids. If they touched bodily fluids, they would become unclean. If they become unclean, they could no longer serve in the temple until they became purified. But that was a process. And so the Levite came over, looked at the guy who was in need, and he did not, he knew what the law said. But after looking, decided that it was not worth his time and effort to stop and meet the need of that person. He then came over, looked, and then walked back to the other side and kept going. But now here's where Jesus gets this lawyer that he began talking to at the beginning. In verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, the thing that was really important that you and I do not understand, we use the term good Samaritan. You may have used that with your kids. You may have said, oh, there's a good Samaritan. Or you may have seen a Samaritan's purse, and you may have seen all of these things that you're like, oh, we want to help them. And in our mind, we have the idea that the Samaritan is something that was good. But to this Jew, the lawyer that Jesus was talking to, this Jewish man that Jesus was saying this story to, it, when he said Samaritan, all of a sudden within that, that lawyer came this, I hate Samaritans. I wouldn't help a Samaritan if I had to. I would walk around the Samaritan. They would walk around Samaria. They would not go through Samaria when they were going someplace. They would go around the village so they would not have to walk through it. This lawyer hated Samaritans. And so now when Jesus brings this Samaritan into the story, and the Samaritan is the one who is the hero, the lawyer's blood is just boiling. And I will prove that in just a second. But the Samaritan came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He not only came to that man, he saw him, he had compassion, and his compassion, as we'll read in the next verse, moved him to do something. Verse number 34, And when he went to him, he bound up his wounds, putting in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay. And Jesus says in verse number 36, To the lawyer, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? So now Jesus is coming back to the lawyer. He's now told this story. He now comes back to the lawyer and he says, All right, three people, which one? was the neighbor to the one who was beaten. Not which one said that that is my neighbor, but which one was the neighbor to that one. And notice what the lawyer says. Verse 37, And he said, He that showed mercy on him. He could not even say the word, the Samaritan. He could not use that word to say it was the Samaritan. He just simply said, he that showed mercy. There was so much anger in him just because it was a Samaritan.
that person at Subway just bothered me for weeks. So this last week, after God smacking me around a little bit, I said, I'm going back to Subway. And all the way to Subway, I am like, I am not going to stand there and look at that menu. When I walk in, I know exactly what I want. I want a Black Forest ham sandwich, pepper jack cheese, mayonnaise, green peppers, black olives, and banana peppers. I know it, exactly what I want. So I walked in, and the person who previously had helped me, use that term loosely, was standing there waiting for me. There was nobody before me. There was nobody after me. It was just me and him and another employee behind the counter. And he said, what would you like? I said, I would like a ham sandwich on wheat bread, not toasted, pepper jack cheese. And he's like, whoa, that was forceful. I'm like, I know what I want. He got that ready. He put ham on there. He goes, hey, uh, some of this is stuck together. I'm just going to give you a le- little extra more ham, a little extra ham. I'm like, man, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate you giving me some extra ham. That's, that is awesome. Thank you. He said, I'm not even going to charge you. I'm like, man, that is awesome. Thank you. you. Man, you guys are great today. You guys are awesome. We moved down to the vegetables. He said, you know what vegetables are? Before he even got that out of his mouth, I'm like, yep, green peppers, black olives, banana peppers, and mayonnaise. He's like, whoa, you know what you want today. I said, I absolutely do. He got that together. I said, man, thank you guys for doing this. You guys are, I really appreciate you guys just taking the time to serve. Just, just I know it can't be easy. He goes, man, it, he said, what? He's, he said, well, man, thanks. Have, have a great day. And I'm like, I will. And I got my sandwich, and I walked out the door, and I thought, you know what? The lawyer in me wanted to say, that dude is not my neighbor. I don't have to be neighborly to him. But God says, are you focused on who you have to be neighbors to? Or are you focused inwardly, the mind of who I've called you to be neighborly to? So this morning, I just have three thoughts for you. As we end, number one, look inward. Look inward. Do you justify who your neighbor is? Are you trying to justify as you live throughout your day, as you go throughout your week, God, that's not my neighbor. Or is God calling you to be neighborly? To And I promise you, if you make this a part of your life, you just are going to be neighborly to everybody. You're that, that sweet, sappy, loving neighbor that you wish that you had to everybody. It is a lot of fun. Last night, Rebecca and I went to Panera for a bowl of soup. And we sat down and there was a man sitting at a table all by himself. And I just wanted to talk to that man for no apparent reason. I'm just like, I just want to talk to him. I just want to be neighborly now. My wife's going to hate me from now on because she's going to be like, would you just quit talking to people? I just like, I want to be neighborly. And he gets up and I'm like, how do you like this snow or this cold weather? He's like, oh, I was in Cleveland. And we started talking, carrying this conversation. He had a hat from Mexico and we were just talking. And I'm like, I just love talking to people. Like, it's awesome. And what causes you to do that? It is the inward look of am I living a neighborly life. 
Look out. Look in. Look out. Who is it that needs to be your neighbor? Will you do something for me this morning? Will you look at the person beside you and say to them, won't you be my neighbor? Look at him right now. Won't you be my neighbor? Hopefully, that person beside you, because you're probably related somehow, was like, sure, I'll be your neighbor. Do you know if you walk to people and you're like, you see somebody and you say to them, will you be my neighbor? They're going to look at you and go, you've been watching Mr. Rogers? Maybe. But we need more people that will look in to say, am I being neighborly? Look out to say, who needs my help? And number three, look and live upward. Don't let fear stop you. There is more at stake than what you truly believe. You know what? Our kids are watching us. They're watching to see how does mom and dad act to somebody who's in need. How does mom and dad, my, my parents, when I was a kid, I thought they were cruel. Every Christmas day, we would leave all of the stuff at our house and we would go to a nursing home and we would have to walk around with handfuls of candy canes and give them to every person in those nursing homes and tell them Merry Christmas, talk to them, and my parents, I, I just, every Christmas, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. But you know, I look back now and I just simply see that my parents were simply trying to tell me there are people in need. Get your eyes off yourself and focus on the people around you who need somebody to be neighborly. And number four, God created you to live a better story. You see, this lawyer was simply wanting to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus said, you can have eternal life by loving God and loving your neighbor. Go do it. And that lawyer found out that it's not just knowing, it's doing. And God has called us, the church, to live a life that is neighborly. Mr. Rogers wrote a song. If you ever listen to or watch that TV program, he always starts it with this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be my, could you be my, won't you be my neighbor? 
In this day when frustrations and fears and problems and difficulties and tempers are rising, the solution is Christians being neighborly. That person this week that bothers you, that's causing you frustration, just look at them and go, won't you be my neighbor? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. That will really confuse them. <laughs> but we just simply need to live as God has called us to do. If you are truly a believer today, this whole thing is about receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, following Him, the eternal life. And Jesus says, what do you need to do? Love God with your whole heart. Receive that gift of salvation. And then live it out. Prove what he has given to us is real. And prove it in what you live. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and thankful for this day and thankful for the opportunity we have to study your word. Lord, this passage helps us to understand and to see that you have not just called us to love you, but you've called us to love those around us as you would. Father, I pray that today you will help us to begin to live a life that is neighborly to all who come across our path, those we choose and those whom we don't choose. Father, I pray that you will give us your strength and your power to live and act and do mercy. Lord, help us to serve you in a way that when we see somebody in need, that we would rise up and be moved with compassion to do something and not just walk by on the other side of the street. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, maybe there's somebody here who says, Pastor Chris, I do not know for sure that I have Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that's the first thing that I would ask you to do today. If you don't know that, now is the time to receive that gift of salvation. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay so that we don't have to pay it, so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven. This morning, is there one here who would say, by lifting your hand, you would say, I do not have a relationship with Jesus, but this morning, I would like to start one. Would you just simply lift your hand up? There's nobody looking except me. And I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone this morning? That by your testimony, we all have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. This morning, I want to ask you, are you trying to get justification on who you treat as neighborly? Or are you living a life of mercy and compassion? I want to just take a minute here and reflect in your life. Is God bringing somebody to the front of your mind that you say, I need to be compassionate. I need to love. I need to change my relationship with that person. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter. And you're saying, I need to reconcile that relationship. I have excluded them from my neighbor list but I'm going to bring them back with God's help. Maybe it's somebody you work with 
and you would say, I just have been struggling and struggling with that person, but today I'm deciding that I'm going to be neighborly to them. I'm not going to try to exclude them from my neighbor list. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's the person that truly lives next door to you. But today, you're going to allow God to work in your life to show mercy and compassion to them. Would you just take a moment? Would you pray? Would you ask God for strength? Ask God for help to live a life that is full of mercy and full of compassion. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray today that your word indwells our heart, fills us, and moves us to compassion. Moves us to live a life that it does not matter what happens to, a, to us, but it's how we live to impact the world around us. Lord, we pray that you will guide and direct all that is done. Help us to live a life of compassion starting this week. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Please be careful on your way out. Uh, if you need some help getting out to your car, there are people that are standing at the door who will be glad to help you. But thank you for coming this morning.
Stay. 